Uh, today's reading is Luke 10, 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by one onto the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you from, uh, for these words from Scripture, and we just pray that, that as we meditate on them together, that you would speak to your people. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this day, and uh, we just ask that you would open our ears to hear from you and our hearts to receive you. In Jesus' name, amen. So as many of you know, uh, my family has been living here for about 18 months, or exactly 18 months. Uh, but some of you might not know, before that, we lived in central Illinois, uh, this little town called Princeton. It was this kind of prairie town. Uh, we love being here, but, uh, you know, there's just such, of course, wonderful things about being in Arnold. Many of us here have chosen to live here, right? I mean, that's pretty common. Uh, we love, of course, our church. We love the nature that's here. We love the trees and the lakes. Uh, it's, it's almost like you have your own little glimpse of what heaven might look like. At least that's how it feels, feels to me being here. Um, but a little bit about our town. Uh, in Illinois, Princeton, we had, um, we had brick roads like you see in movies. Uh, there's not earthquakes, so there's brick roads. Uh, there's brick buildings even, believe it or not. Uh, there's Victorian houses and uh, as many amber waves of grain as you can possibly see, uh, for as far as you can possibly see. Uh, and I served a church there. And uh, just a short story on that. We were at the church for about three years, my family and I. And this family started coming to church on Sunday mornings. And we were excited to see them. They had uh, a little boy that happened to be the same age as, as our oldest son, William. Uh, and they started coming to the church, 
And I say they happen to be the same age. Actually, we found out later that the reason the family has started coming is because William, when he was little, uh, started telling his classmate about our church's Wednesday uh, programming, our, our children's church stuff, and he invited his friend to come. And after coming for a few weeks, the family started coming on Sunday morning. It was kind of this ideal situation, what you pray uh, would happen. Children are inviting other children. Families are coming to church. Uh, it was really great. And here's my time for this, this confession part of this. So I, I hope that you are sitting there with uh, grace-filled hearts as you hear my own uh, shortcoming here. But... They were going to the church for probably three months, again, mom and dad and little boy, before I realized that they were my neighbors. And and I don't mean, some of you are thinking, surely not. Surely not, Pastor John. They cannot possibly live right next to you. Uh, You must mean they lived in your neighborhood. Or you must mean they lived down the street. No, we were on the corner of a block, and they were kitty corner to us right there. They were one of our closest uh, houses. If you sat on our front porch, uh, you would see the house directly across the street, and they were next door. Uh, They were right there, and it was three months as the pastor of the church before I realized who these people even were, that that they lived uh, near us. And not only that, that they were one of our closest neighbors. We had lived next to each other for about four years at this point. Again, this is a confession. I'm not telling you what you should do. This is not, don't be taking notes at this point. Uh, This is me letting you know. So we had lived next to each other for four years, and not only did I not know their names, not only was I not able to greet them, I didn't know that they had a son that was the same age as my son and in the same uh, grade at school, in the same class even. But I didn't even recognize them. But yet... I'm a pastor. And yet, when Jesus was asked, which is the greatest commandment in all the law, he replied in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, he said, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets, they hang on these two commandments. So where is the disconnect, right? Where is the disconnect? Now, uh, I, I know I've stood up in front of the church there and I have preached on that verse. I know I have. But yet, I don't even recognize my neighbor for three months as they come to my church, and I'm supposed to be the pastor, right? You know, after realizing this, I felt like I needed to come face to face with this uncomfortable truth, and here's what it was. While I was doing a decent job loving the people in my church, I wasn't doing a good job even knowing the names of the people that lived near me. I wasn't doing an even adequate job, even recognizing their faces when they would come to church. And I had to ask the question, why is that? What part of myself, what part of my own faith walk would bring me there? And as I thought about it more and more, it came back to this question, who is my neighbor? 
The same question that the expert in the law asked Jesus. Who is my neighbor? Now, theologically, theologically, I knew that the answer was that everyone was my neighbor and that I was responsible for loving everyone. But the hard truth is that sometimes when everyone is your neighbor, that no one is actually your neighbor. That when it becomes such a big thing, such a, such a huge thing, such a mighty thing, that everyone is my neighbor and therefore I'm responsible for all of it, that practically speaking, what it looked like in my own life was that I didn't even recognize the people that lived across the street from me. Not only did I not know their names, I didn't even know that they had a kid in my son's class. Because everyone was my neighbor. Do you get what I'm saying? So everyone was my neighbor, therefore I was not neighborly to anyone that lived near me. And I tell you this because today we're going to start into a new sermon series that I'm calling The Art of Neighboring. And I feel like this is a deeply biblical series. This is a deeply uh, Jesus and, and his ministry-centered series on the art of being Christian neighbors. Not just to everyone, but to actually the people that God put near us. You know, I believe that this church was put in this neighborhood for a reason. I don't think it's randomly here. I think God had plans. And I think that's true for individual Christians too and in Christian households. I think that where uh, my family and I live, the exact house, I believe that God put us there. And I believe that for each one of you, that God put you in your space to connect with the people near you. He wanted Jesus Christ to speak into not only that house, not only that location where you live, but into that space. Almost like we're each missionaries in our own little life, that we're, we're put there, not, not just to uh, kind of preach the gospel to strangers, but to build relationships, to love people, to show glimpses of who Jesus is. So the whole premise of this series is what if, and I don't think this is a big what if, what if when Jesus called us to love our neighbors, not only did he mean everyone, but he also meant our neighbors? What if, like, what if God actually meant, Jesus actually meant to love your neighbors as yourself? Some of you are already feeling good about that because you're like, hey, at least I recognize my neighbors. <laughs> at, least I, at least I know their names, you know. So, so maybe I'm not setting a very high bar. But uh, what if that is truly a calling that Jesus wants for us? And what if that in itself brings transformation? What if that could change a community, could change a neighborhood? So that brings us into our scripture for today, the Good Samaritan. Uh, as Jody read for us earlier, Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. It says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Notice, we're already told the man's intentions. We're already told where his heart is. We're told that he stood up to test Jesus. He's an expert in the law, and now he wants to test Jesus. He says, will Jesus give the right answer? He wants to kind of enter into this theological debate. 
right here in, in the middle of, of, of a bunch of people learning from Jesus. He's going to enter in to this debate, and he asks this question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus doesn't just immediately enter into this debate with him. It probably is going to go nowhere. Instead, Jesus asks him a question. After all, he's an expert. So he asks him a question. Verse 26, what is written in the law? He replied, and how do you read it? You're an expert in the law. So what does the law say? It says, he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. I don't know about you, but I think he did a good job. The expert of law, he, he apparently knows the law. He knows the Old Testament. All right. It's the Holy Spirit flowing through this place. Uh, he knows the Old Testament. He knows uh, what he's doing. He actually quotes two Old Testament passages right here. It's Deuteronomy 6.5 and Leviticus 19.18. That's where he gets this from. Jesus says to him, verse 28, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. And now we get to see a little bit deeper. Because the man's heart is somewhat exposed. We can, we can see where he's coming from in his own words. So listen carefully to it. He, it says, but he wanted to justify himself. So then he asked Jesus a detailed question. He says, who is my neighbor? This is coming from a place of wanting to justify himself, right? He, he wants to know where his responsibility ends. I know I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself, and, and surely that means people that maybe live in my own village or whatever, but, but what about the next village? Where, where does my responsibility end? Because I want to follow this, and I want to make sure that, that I'm able to do uh, what I want to do. Who am I responsible to love? Really is the question he's asking. See, it shows where he's at because it shows that his love is actually not really love. His love is a means to an end. He's sitting here in Arnold and he wants to know, do I have to love those people who live in Avery? Do I have to love those people that live in Dorrington or is Arnold enough? Thank you. There's, one, there's a laugh from the sound booth. Thank you. I thought it was funny. He wants to know, is the, have I gone far enough in my loving, or, or am I going to be held responsible for something that I don't even know yet? And to answer the question, who is my neighbor, Jesus tells this parable. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes and beat him and went away and left him half dead. See, we know our roads around here, but maybe you don't realize that 
this road from Jerusalem to Jericho, this is a notorious road. This is a dangerous road. It makes perfect sense that Jesus' story, uh, that he would make this as the setting. Jerusalem is about 2,500 feet above sea level. I know that here we love elevation, right? You all get what elevation means. So it's 2,500 feet above sea level. Uh, You think, oh, they got nothing on us. It's a 15-mile road to Jericho. Jericho is 850 feet below sea level. So as you go in these 15 miles, uh, you actually go down 3,350 feet in 15 miles. Now this isn't well set up. This isn't Highway 4 where they've kind of cut it through the mountainside, right? This is a windy path, many switchbacks as they go, many, many places where robbers would, would commonly hide. They'd hide around the corner, and when you would come around the corner, they could spring out on you. And it was well known for it. It was kind of a lawless place. So Jesus uses this as a setting. He says that there's a man going from Jerusalem to Jericho. And he was attacked by robbers. Not only did they rob him, but they stripped him of his clothing. They beat him. And they left him for dead right there on the road. Verse 31. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite. When he came to the place, he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. Remember, he's talking to the expert in the law here. And to this expert in the law, these are two obvious characters who are going to be the good guy in this scenario. The priest and the Levite. They're good people. But yet they've passed by, and now Jesus brings up a new character, a Samaritan. I'm not going to go into a tremendous amount of detail. You could do a whole sermon on just what the relationship is between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people at this time. But I'll just say a little bit. So to the Jewish population, the Samaritans were seen as anything but the good people. They were seen as this this sort of uh, unhealthy mix in their minds between Jewish Uh, ancestors and Gentile ancestors, not quite them, but also so far from being us. And in the expert of the law, in his mind, this would certainly not be the person who would come and who would save the day. If I bring up Arnold and Avery and Dorrington, I don't know what other town this is. It's, it's really not even comparable in our own language. We don't have people, uh, most likely, unless you do in your own heart, that are despised like these Samaritans are despised. But needless to say, they're the least likely to ever help you out, at least in their minds. Verse 33, but a Samaritan... As he traveled, came where the man was. He saw him, and he took pity on him. 
He went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return I will reimburse you for any extra expenses that you have. Now it's Jesus' turn to ask questions. And Jesus' question is this, which of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus said, go and do likewise. So the man's question to Jesus was, who is my neighbor? But Jesus' question is slightly different here. Jesus says, which one of these three do you think was the neighbor to the man? It wasn't about obligation here. It was, it was more about action. Was the Samaritan a neighbor to the man because he lived near him, because uh, he was right next door, because something uh, bound them together? No, he was a neighbor to the man because of his actions, because he saw him, because he took pity on him, and because that actually drew him into doing something. Amazingly, we're told that the priest and the Levite also saw the man. As they walked past, they saw him laying there. We're not told what their intentions were, but they saw him laying there. The difference was they didn't take the pity on him that that actually drew them into action. And if we just look at our own neighbors, people that live near us, we see them often. We see even what's going on in their lives. Or rather, we see what we don't see. We see how busy they are. We see that they they come home late at night, they open the garage door, they pull in, it closes, and we never see them again until they leave. I've had neighbors that the only reason I know anything about their children is because sometimes they pile into the car and they're wearing different sports uniforms. And, And I don't know the kid's name, but I might know that they're in karate. Or, or I don't know anything about the family, but I know that, that they must play baseball, or that they must be a, kind of a softball family. I see them, but, but I still don't enter into their lives. It's really no different than the priest and the Levite. We see others, but we're not taking an interest in them. We're not uh, helping them. We're certainly not seeing them well enough to see the real situations going on in their lives. So being a neighbor here is way more about your actions than it is who you're responsible for being a neighbor to. So this might sound really harsh, but I think it's scriptural, so I guess I'll I'll be harsh. In scripture, we can rightly say that everyone is our neighbor, but we can also say that it's very possible that you have zero neighbors. Because if you're not seeing them, if you're not interacting with them, if you're not putting in any effort, if you're not using your own resources to help and and at least engage in conversation, and if being a neighbor is about your actions, 
and it's not about your proximity, then it is very possible that you just have people that live near to you, but you don't have neighbors. And I already told you my story in the beginning, so preaching to myself, right? (laughs) It's very possible that you live close to people, but that you have zero neighbors. And when Jesus calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, we have to ask the question, what does that mean in my own Christian walk? What does that mean uh, as a believer? Now, here's a challenge for you. And this is going to be ongoing, and we're going to do this throughout the summer. So uh, this isn't just some kind of blanket challenge, and then you're supposed to forget about it. So please remember uh, this challenge. The challenge is this. Um, Most of you probably don't have a piece of paper right now and a pen, so you can kind of do it in your own head. But if you do, go ahead and do it on a piece of paper. I want you to make like a tic-tac-toe board. So, So it's nine squares on your sheet of paper. The center square will represent your own house. And the other eight are the eight closest neighbors that you have. Now, if you lived in this cookie-cutter suburban world, they might actually be in that location. It might be, you know, across your front door, you know, backyard neighbors, whatever. Uh, I know my neighborhood is not that way. Uh, But either way, these are your closest eight neighbors. Now, maybe you can just do it in your head, but I want you to think if you could fill out their names on that sheet of paper. Not if you could ask your spouse and if your spouse could fill out their names, because I I know I would be guilty of that. Uh, I'd be like, oh yeah, those people two doors away, they have this kind of car. Uh, Do you remember what their names are? The point is if you can fill out the names. And not just the names, but as you're filling it out, fill out details, even in your own square. Who lives there? I know in my neighborhood, it's important to remember people's pets' names. For some reason, if you know that your name's dog, or neighbor's dog is named Nugget, they take it as an act of love. <laughs> so go ahead and put their pets' names down too. Jeannie's clapping for us. <laughs> uh, so, so as you go through uh, this challenge, and I do encourage you to do this when you get home. Actually do this. Don't That's not just like the end of the sermon thing and then we forgot about it. So go home and and write this down or maybe even make it look like your neighborhood. But the point is, is your house in the middle and your actual closest eight other houses. Fill it out. This is step one in this process. Some stuff I like to put down. So, of course, children's names is, is nice. Uh, whether they're full-time or part-time in our area, a uh, pretty common thing to write down. Uh, jobs that they have, where they moved from, how long they've lived here. It can be convenient to actually put down their real address. You know, not just two doors to the left, but actually write it in. Whatever you actually know about them. Again, eight people around you. Step number one here is going to be twofold, and it may take a while. Part of it will be quick. Part of it is I want you to go home, and I want you to actually figure out who the eight closest houses are. And not for all eight, but individually, I want you, at least in your own head, to say a prayer for them. 
that God would connect you in some way this summer. They might be good friends of yours, but the prayer is that they become even better friends. You might not know their name at all, and the prayer might be that you would at least have an opportunity to stand in the driveway and and hear a little bit of their story. So wherever your relationship is, the prayer will be that it moves to kind of the next stage, a little deeper of a stage. So that's step one, pray for them. And then step two is as the weeks go by here, I want to challenge you to have that completely filled out by the end of this summer. I think this summer is going to be a time where people are out. They're, they're going to get out of their houses. They're going to move around a little bit. We're going to start seeing them. If you go for walks at, I don't know, 5 o'clock in the afternoon, you're going to see people. And I want you to be able to fill this out. We have this uh, partially because I'm just not naturally good at it. Like I said in the beginning. Some of you were like, I don't need a chart. I know everyone ever. Uh, that's great. <laughs> I need a chart. And I, and I need it written down. And as I write it down, uh, I need to place it into a place where I will see it. And as I, as I see it, I can actually kind of study it. And we've been in our house right now. We rented for the first number of months, and we've been living there since about October in our new house. And we started doing this right away. So we have a little chart at our house. It's not even fully filled out yet because some people just haven't been up during the winter and, and we haven't connected yet. But uh, it hangs on the inside of one of our kitchen cabinets. And we're able to kind of use it to, to remind ourselves of what their names are and who they are and the, and the kids and the jobs and full-time and part-time and where they live. Uh, but it's very, very helpful. So this is, again, step one in this process of how can we, uh, as a church, but also as just individuals, how can we live into, in a really practical way, this, this call that we have to love our neighbors as ourselves. And love might be really big, but the first step might be actually knowing their names. Does that make sense? You all get what I'm asking you to do? Okay, this makes sense. Yes, thumbs up. Thank you. You're so far away, all of you. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I can barely see you. Maybe I need new glasses. Uh, but, no. <laughs> but, yeah, so... so um, as we do this, I really do think it's kind of the step in, in the art of neighboring in what Jesus calls us to do with this practical thing, like I said in the beginning, of what if when we are called to love our neighbors as ourselves? What if Jesus also meant these eight households that are around us? And what if he didn't just say it kind of as a blanket statement, but what if he really wanted you as a believer to love these people, that he put you there on purpose, that you're not just randomly located in some spot. You might think you picked out your house. The Holy Spirit might tell you, oh, that's cute. That's cute. Or as we say in, in Minnesota, I don't say, but I've heard people say, oh, for cute. Have you heard that? You can all practice it if you want, but you have to have real long vowels if you want to do it. It's like, it's like if a, a little kid comes and they got their Easter dress on and it's just adorable. You say, oh, for cute. <laughs> it's great. 
That's what the Holy Spirit might say to you when you say, I picked out this house. I chose where I'm going to live. I put myself here. The Holy Spirit says, no, I put you there. And I put you there on purpose. 